I go to McDonald's on occasion in the mornings. This week, I was the one 24th Street between Thomas and, and Indian School, and sitting in line, you know how you, you know, I don't know how much time we all spend if we look back on how much time we sit in line our whole lives. I think we're going to be kind of sad about that if we don't use it well, right? We talked about last week, redeem the time. So this week, I was sitting there, and I thought, there was this car. We're kind of you know, it's a two-laner, so you're kind of, you know, you got to be nice to each other and kind of get the other car, you, know, you kind of sneak your way in there. So I'm the car that's in the speaker uh, to the left of me. Uh, I notice it, and it's an older model uh, Jeep, uh, cardboard on the window, back window's down just a little bit, two guys in the front seat, and, and I hate, and I'm going to say something, it may offend some of you, but there's a smell when you know people haven't bathed in a long time, and you know, it's a smell if you've worked on the streets and worked with people in the street, there's It just is. And I'm not trying to, it just, it's, and it's common no matter if you're in Little Rock or Texarkana or Phoenix or wherever you are. There's two guys there, and I'm noticing they're ordering, and they got a big old German shepherd sticking his head from one window to the other. They got the windows down and going back and forth. And, you know, I'm just assessing it. I'm not trying to judge it or anything else, but notice, you know, they're getting the money out, and the guy on the, on the passenger side's got his billfold out. and getting cash, who's not going to use a credit card, just things going through my mind. I'm not really trying to assess their life, but for whatever reason, I decided just to begin to, I thought, well, I'm going to pray for them because I'm redeeming the time, right? And so I did that real brief. And I get up there to, uh, and, and they're in their old Jeep, which got, like I said, cardboard window, kind of pretty rough looking, and I'm in my new truck. And, and I get up there to pay, and uh, the guy goes, oh, they just paid for you. You're good, You're good to go. Really? I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, he just paid for you. He said, God bless. And I thought, you know, sometimes you assess things, but sometimes you redeem the time, and you're praying and going, thank you, Lord. It, may, it influenced my day. They, and, I, and I looked, and I tried to go, are they looking in the mirror just to see how I react? I never saw it. They just did it and moved on. Redeeming the time. I've never had that happen to me for anyone. Nicer car, less car, never. But in that moment, and for whatever reason, the Lord prompted me to ascend. I hardly ever even noticed the people next to me. But that day, God goes, you know what? Pay attention. You know, last week we talked about the fact of redeeming the time to, to, to hopefully at the end of time we won't just look back and go, man, like I said last week, hell for me would be on one half of the screen uh, would be all the time that I wasted, just wasted. And, and for eternity I had to sit there and just watch that time that I wasted and right next to it is how I could have redeemed it for the good and the difference it would have made. That would be hell for me. So as we begin and stay in this series of unstoppable force, as I begin to look at, you know, even looking back at last week, talking about the fact that if you knew each day you got up and you were on a mission, not just trying to pass a class and trying to get to the end that God approved of you, but he really had a purpose for you. He really had you going somewhere. And that you knew, just like we talked about King David, and you knew, just like we talked about the Apostle Paul, you knew. Until your mission was completed, until God said it's done, it's not done. David served God's purpose in his own generation, and he fell asleep. No better epitaph, in my opinion, that you did everything God wanted you to do in the time that he gave you, and it was all said and done, he took you home. 
But there are times in the waiting that it gets along, right? Have you ever been in a waiting period in your life that you're going, Lord, I don't see how you're going to make good out of this? For a while, you're all right. For a while, you go, okay, I'm a firm believer. I can, I'm locked in here. I, can, I, I, know, I know that God's going to come through, but it just keeps going. I've been through some of those in my own life, not believing, not, again, not turning my back on God or anything like that, but just going, Lord, I don't know, I don't know how you're going to use this, first off, but Lord, this is going way longer than I anticipated. Did I miss it? Have you ever done that? Did I miss a turn somewhere along the way, Lord? <laughs> did, did, I, did you show me something and I just... What if you, an unstoppable force, what if you were the, the Israelites, the chosen ones? You've had promise after promise. Somehow or another, someday, somewhere, it's all, God's always prophetic. He sends, he sends prophet after prophet to try to woo you and promise how he's going to bless you. But still. Ezekiel chapter 37, those who know the prophet Ezekiel is quite a colorful character. Many of you know, and I won't go into it right now. When I was called into ministry, God used the book of Ezekiel to confirm to me the call into ministry. But man, as I started reading the whole book of Ezekiel, I kind of go, whoa, okay, this is quite interesting, quite a colorful character and all kinds of things that he was asked to do. And, but he's asked to do that, to go to extremes like God did with many of his prophets, to go to extremes just like you, you know, if you knew someone was about to go off, a, a, you know, a train about to go off a bridge that was out, would you go to all the way to the extreme of, of, to get their attention, even jumping out there and taking all your clothes off and waving them down just so they'd stop? Probably, right? You probably would because you know that the people's lives are at stake and you would go to whatever length it is to save their lives. That's kind of how the prophets. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. So when you read the book of Ezekiel, there's a lot of colorful things and a lot of things God asked, kind of bizarre things that God asked them to do to get their attention. And so Ezekiel, again, is one of those books that I encourage you to, to read. I, again, I, I, I wish I had time to share a little bit more about that in my own journey, but I won't do that right now. But here we go. But the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, Ezekiel 37, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to those bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to those bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I was commanded. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I was prophesying there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. 
but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and they stood up on their feet as a vast army. Ezekiel was sent to his own people. He wasn't sent to enemy. He wasn't sent to, you know, some people that were, that, that, uh, that God, that, that, they were necessarily enemies of the Israelites. He was sent to his own people. And we read even in Ezekiel 33 where he begged his people. He had begged the Israelites, why do you choose death? You know, sometimes when we read scripture and we see some of the things that happens and, and, and the calamity that happens on his people or on other people, I, we look at that and go, well, God just had it out for them. But no, God's begging them. You see it throughout scripture. God's begging them to turn back. Choose life. But there are consequences for not being obedient, for sure, right? And so, as we look at the people of Israel, I don't know if you can look at a group of people through history that have had the opportunity to be taken out completely as the Israelites, and they've come back over and over. And at this time, when you see Ezekiel, Ezekiel, it, it, it says here that probably, it said in my study, probably 25 to 30 years old, up to 50 years old, and he's been taken into captivity too, so know where he is at this point. Here's a man who's been raised by the temple, at the temple, and now uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's invasion has taken him and, and, and scattered the people. Obviously, a lot of death involved in this. And God takes Ezekiel, whether he took him physically somewhere, which God could do, or he takes him in a dream. But he takes him to this valley, and in this valley are these bones. And the bones are not like skeletons, like, you know, okay, there's, there, you could tell. Okay, that's a body there, that's a body there. The word says they're scattered. They're not even intact in any form or fashion. They are scattered. And he asked him this question. You believe these can live? What I think is also interesting in this, he doesn't just set him up on a hill over the valley. And so Ezekiel can look down on the valley and go, okay, look at all these scattered bones. What does he make him do? He makes him walk amongst them. He literally has to go in and through them. Often when I read this, and I've read it many times, I've only preached on it, I think, one time ever before. But I think it's very significant. He didn't just show them from a distance. The brokenness and the hopelessness. I think often, and I used to say this in youth ministry, we're so inundated today with news of bad things happening we're so inundated today from all kinds of things, we've almost got to the point where we're numb to it. We talk about in the New Testament, you've heard me preach on it, Jesus went to all the villages and he saw the people and he had compassion, but Jesus went, he saw, and he had compassion. 
He had to go, and he had to see them. And then his heart broke. So often we see things that we know need to be done, but we're afraid to get too close to it. Because if what, what if God reached in, grabbed your heart, and said, I need you to do something about this. It's easy to stand at a distance, isn't it? But when you have to walk amongst it, when you have to be with people who are broken, you have to be in hopeless situations. When you're there, there's something different happens to you than when you stand at a distance. Send a gift, support a group, which again, I'm all for that. And I don't think I'm supposed to be involved and passionate about everything that breaks God's heart. Just so you know, well, pastor, why aren't you passionate about that? Why aren't you do- Well, because there's not enough of me, first off, not enough time. But often we have opinions about things and thoughts about things that we're really not connected to. Where if we, got, if we walked amongst the hopeless, whatever that is, I don't mean it's a people, I don't mean it's, it's I'm talking about situations. When we're involved in it, it does do something different. Like, and I would say this, if God had taken Ezekiel to, to where all these people that had got slain when the invasion happened, if they were all still kind of struggling for life, they were just really trying to go, they're all, you know, they've, they've all been wounded. You could say, well, God can just heal them. He literally takes him to a place where they were scattered. Sheer hopelessness. He asked the question, you think I can make these come alive again? The sovereign Lord, only you know. What does the Lord tell him? Much like he did Abraham, I was Skipped apart here, I just want to be sure. And Abraham, in Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah, he asked the same question. Behold, I am the Lord, a God of the flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Ezekiel knew that if he was walking amongst that and it was left up to him or any other human beings, it was hopeless. I guess today I come to you sharing this with you, a couple of things I want to share with you, but one specific is, are you facing situations? If you took what I said last week is, if you knew every day God has put you on a mission, and that mission is unstoppable until God's done, how would you get up every day? How would you go about that day? But what if it was been, it's been a long time now and whatever God you're facing right now is so big and so significant and so, and it's been so long. Starting to lose that faith. It seems impossible. One of my favorite stories in scripture give you the backdrop of it, most of you know it. 
when the spies were sent into the promised land. Again, a promise. They're sent into that promised land. I'll just, most of you know it. If you don't, just brief synopsis of it. They're sent in. They come back and there's two that says we can take this land. And what I love about the, about the scripture is they, they tell, they, they come back and the report back is the land is what you say it is. The land is what God said it was. The land is that. But, but, there are giants there and can, we are compared to them. We're compared as grasshoppers to them, if you will. And so for now, so what ends up happening? For 40 years, they wonder the Israelites wander in the desert, right? God leaves them in the wilderness for 40 years. But there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb. But Caleb, he knew, he not only believed it was everything God said it was, but he also knew what? We can do this. For 40 years, Caleb's is sentenced to the same thing everybody else is sentenced to. Except for one thing, he didn't die. But he wondered. He wondered. For 40 years. And what do you think those conversations were like? What do you think that was like sitting at McDonald's or sitting in line somewhere waiting to get fed? What do you think those conversations were like going, it's not my fault we're here. You know, if it had been up to me, we were already there. We were on milk and honey. That's where we would be, but it's not my fault we're here. How much of that conversation or grumbling was there? I don't know if there was any. But what I love is reading reading the passage of Scripture in Joshua 40 years later. And he says in verse 7, in Joshua 14, 7, he said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, what? Wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he, and, and he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now what has he been doing this 40-something years? He has been following the Lord what? wholeheartedly he was all in even in the waiting even in the time and the gap in between we said somewhere along the way God must have forgotten he's uh, the whole mission this whole pastor Kurt sermon series or whatever God is unstoppable somewhere along the way it stopped but he followed the Lord wholeheartedly and I love this I am as strong today as the day Moses sent me out I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then 
Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. What I love so much about this story of Caleb, and most of you know me, I love the spirit of Caleb. I pray the spirit of Caleb over my life. I hope I'm 85 years old today and I've still got the same vigors I had back then. That's what I hope. And I hope it for you too. Those of you, and we've said this before, those of you who are willing to retire and kick back, I hope you have the spirit of Caleb and you've got the vigor to do the things you would have done 20, 30 years ago. Just a different season. What I love about Caleb here, not only does he have the same vigor, he said, I don't want just any hill country. I don't want just any part of the promised land. You remember way back, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a little bit in here. Remember way back when they said the giants made us look like grasshoppers? Remember those guys? I want that land. He didn't just say, hey, give me the part over here where of the least resistance. Give me the part over here because, hey, I've been faithful. I should be up on the rank here. I should be the one up here being able to get favor and not have to deal with any of this. He said, no, I want to go where the giants are. Give me my mountain. I don't know. The, the, the tough part sometimes, right, is we don't know where we are in the waiting but what we've got to be convinced of, whatever we, wherever we are, we're following after God wholeheartedly. Son of man, do you believe that I can bring life back to these bones? Only you know, Lord. Only you know. What does Ezekiel say? Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Revelation 2 and 3, when John's writing and, and uh, dictating from Jesus, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These bones start coming together, right? They start coming back. He begins to speak into them and, and this semblance of life that there's not true life, right? There's not fully true life coming back yet. They now begin to, the, the tendons, to be, they, the bones come together, the muscle comes on and the skin begins to come together and they stand up and there they are and they have no life. Until what? We talk about it in uncommon, different ones talking about being capped, kind of stuck. Life comes when the Spirit is spoken into it. Guess what? We could come each week and quote verses or a creed. And they in themselves don't give us life. They remind us. They encourage us. Church attendance doesn't give us life. They just help it. 
but it's when the spirit spoken, these bones begin to rattle. When the spirit is spoken into them, they begin to stand up. When I love that picture, and they become this vast army. And this whole thought of unstoppable force. I hope to speak on it more next week. We'll see how the Lord leads me on that. It is when the spirit is so evident and so real and so tangible. We can do all the good things to make programs and everything else, but unless the spirit's presence I love what Josiah said earlier, and Allie prayed it almost to what she didn't even know what I was preaching on necessarily, but, 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 uh, but Josiah talking about it. it's the presence of God. It's not the semblance of God. It's not the wrappings of God. It's not the creeds of God. It is the presence of God that changes people's lives. It's what causes them to stand up and move forward. It's the presence that makes it unstoppable. Because the bones came together, the meat hit the bones, the skin came on it. But until the ruah, until the breath was spoken into it, there is no life. We need to preach on it more. Years ago, I was preaching at Texture Canada, was not had not been preaching along as a, as a full-time pastor, youth pastor, but I asked my former pastor from Wicks, Arkansas, who the one I hated to always be around, to come and hear me preach. Pastor McCoy. Yeah, you remember Brother McCoy and his wife. And Brother McCoy, the reason why I did not like being around him as a teenager was not because he was Turner Byrne not because he was this guy who was always going, you know, you know what you're doing in life is wrong, because it was. What I hated about him was, every time I was around him, he'd just put his arm around me and just love on me and knew how messed up I was. I hated being around him. Oh, nobody's that nice. Nobody's that unconditional. Nobody does that. But there was a presence about him. And when you're not living right, and you know it, you kind of avoid some of those people. I'd already tried, I thought I'd tried to avoid him going to church, so I quit going to church, as I've told you before. The best, I got, every time I went out to church, I got a conviction, so I figured the best way to avoid that was not go to church anymore, so I didn't. Didn't do it for 10 years. But when you're in a town of 350, 400 people, you see people all the time, especially at ball games and different things, and but I preached, I invited him, and hadn't seen him in years, and that day I preached on the Holy Spirit. I don't even remember the sermon, I wish I could find it. Back then I did it on a typewriter, and it was, just, it was a mess, and who knows where it is today. But the altars were full. I don't even know what I preached, I don't know what happened, but it was unbelievable what happened. Not, it had nothing to do with me, but I preached on the Holy Spirit, and he reminded me, he said, every time you make the Holy Spirit the center of what you're doing, you will see the effects of it. You want to be an unstoppable force? Let the presence of the Spirit 
which is the evidence of Jesus Christ still ruling and reigning, living through your life. There will be a different way you get up each day. There will be a different way to judge everything that went on that day. Not a pass or fail. But Lord, will we continue to head the right direction? But he spoke into the bones. Spoke into the skeletons. He spoke into these. The breath of life. They rose up. And there was a vast army. Vast army. I challenge you this week. Sorry, you guys can come on up. I know you got a baby there, but you know. Levi can come too. I don't care. We sing this song, and Josiah, I don't know if he knew, and again, we talked about it earlier in the week, but I didn't know exactly how we would end this service, but. song make room and when I teach on often on Holy Spirit one of the things I talk about is when so often back in the day when people say well were you filled with the Spirit are you filled with the Spirit and I'd hear that and I thought it was kind of like you pop it you know I go I don't know man it's kind of like somebody popped like a can opener and you get it you just get filled okay that's kind of how you just get it (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had that image I just I have weird images I guess apparently but that's how you get it. You just get filled. And what I realized over time, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't come on and do things that are unusual and supernatural and mystical. But I also believe it's a part of a decision we make. It's going, you have that area of my life now. You open it up. Lord, I invite you in. I want you to have that. I know you're my Savior. But I don't feel life. I have come that you may have life. Zoe. Vigor. I've come that you may have life and live it to the fullest. But I don't feel like I have life. I feel like I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But I don't feel like I have life. we begin to give the spirit space and I've used the illustration of home sure you can invite him in and let him in the living room and in the foyer if you have one or whatever he wants the whole house if you keep doors shut to the parts of that house he's not going to kick the door in He wants the closets in those rooms. He wants the drawers and the dressers. (laughs) He wants the whole thing. And sometimes it comes in increments. And sometimes you give up a lot. When we sing this song, Make Room, that's what I think of, even though I know the song wasn't written based on that, my thought about the house. 
But when we invite the Spirit into all those areas, things that once seemed dead come alive. We're going to sing this song, and I hope to teach a little more on Holy Spirit next week because I believe it is the key to that unstoppable force. But if you're open today, won't you stand with me as we close in prayer? In that image I'm sharing with you of surrendering, making room, the Spirit come and filling it, if you will. If that makes any sense to you and it's where you are right now in your journey, of course you can stay where you are, but we encourage you, if you would, to make a step down and just use these altars for what they're here for. Place for surrender, consecration. But most of all, Transformation. But again, they're a piece of furniture, nothing magical about them. But when you and the Lord meet, you surrender, or something great happens. Lord, help us right now to do what only you can do. As you told the prophet Ezekiel, as is spoken to John, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. Lord, there's nothing today that I said that needs to be used in place of that. But Lord, if you used what we said today, Lord, I pray that there's obedience to you, surrender to you. But we know that changes everything. Lord, help us now. We continue in this service. We pray this in your name, Jesus.